0: Well, Church, we're on a series through the Book of Acts in the Bible called Church on the Move. That's the name of our series. And if you, if you have just joined us today, Let me say you've joined us at a terrible time (laughs) because we are halfway through the series. But if you have missed any one of the previous messages, just head on to our YouTube and catch up with the messages. They're all very, very good. And last week, Pastor Jared taught us how the disciples, the early disciples, postured their heart so that they positioned themselves for God's plan and purposes. Today we're gonna pick up where he left off and unpack how the inward posture of the disciples' heart led to the outward practice of generosity. So we're gonna continue Acts chapter four, reading from verse 32 to chapter five, verse 11. Let's turn to the Word of God. All the believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought, them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, whom the apostles, sorry, man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, and it's always good to keep your wife in the full know, He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some men, young men, came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. You have to open up your spiritual ears and put on your spiritual seat belts, because we're gonna be in for a ride. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, we come in surrender to your voice. Would you speak to us exactly as you would want to? We open our hearts to receive it and to receive whatever you wanna tell us. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. This is a story about two kinds of responses that the believers, the early believers, had to God and the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two extremes. On the one hand, some were very good examples in the way they responded. On the other hand, we hear of two people who responded very poorly. So these two extremes gives us the two points that we're going to talk about today, and I'll tell you what the two points are ahead of time. Number one, the power of meeting needs. And number two, the problem of pretension. These are our two main points today. And I'll go through the first one now. The power of meeting needs. And in verse 32, it begins like this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. By now, by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, there were about 8,000 believers in Jerusalem. That's a huge mega church in a small city, 8,000. Literally in the Greek, this line reads like this. The heart and soul of the multitude of believers were one. Everyone say one. The emphasis at the end of the Greek sentence is the word one. That's the emphasis for what this sentence is trying to tell us. Despite 8,000 people, so many ones that are different, yet they are One. You know, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he famously said this, friends share all things in common. And the reason why we would have this philosophy is actually for self-benefit. I help you and then you will help me. I scratch your back and you scratch mine. So the philosophy is actually a philosophy of self-centeredness and self-preservation. But in Acts chapter four, the kind of oneness that we see in the believers transcended this self-centeredness, this self-preservation mindset. They shared all things in common, not for self-benefit, but for the benefit of the others. Because they understood they were one together. It is the mindset that what is good for me may not be best for everyone. But what is always better is that we work for the collective good, for everyone. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, that if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part of the body is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And that is rad, that is radical. If you don't realise, that is not normal. When I was a young parent and my little boy was growing up, I used to observe, I used to love to observe how little toddlers play with one another. Have you ever seen a bunch of toddlers come together and then you put a bunch of toys in between them? What happens? Especially when the toys belong to them and you ask them to share, what do they do? No, mine, mine. Have you seen that? When one of their friends come up to them and takes one of their toys, no, mine, mine. And then they start, you know, getting angry, aggressive. They might be crying. They might be spilling a lot of tears. They might be hitting out at one another. I'm not sure if that's the situation right now at the crash at the back. I hope that you're able to pay attention. Anyone ever had a hard time trying to teach a toddler to be selfish? Anyone ever had a hard time trying to teach your young child to be self-centered? No. It is inbuilt in all of us. We were all built as babies to be selfish, to be self-centered. That is our nature. What changes the selfish nature of a man or a woman or, or a toddler or a little child? What has the power to make a leopard change its spots, so to speak? Acts chapter 4 verse 33 tells us this. The great power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. The Greek word for great and powerfully here is the great Greek word megas, where we get the English word mega. Literally what this says is the mega power, the mega grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel. The grace and the Gospel of Jesus Christ is so great that even the most basic, sinful, selfish nature can be changed. So what does this mean? That There is nothing so deeply rooted in your life and in the life of your loved ones that God's grace cannot reach in and transform. Amen. How many of us say amen to that? That is good news. Here in the Bible, the direct result of God's power and grace working in them was this. The Bible says that there were no needy people among them. Did you catch this? God souls transformed them from the inside that is spilled onto the outside. This spiritual transformation led to a social transformation. So much so that poverty was eradicated among 8,000 people. Not a single one of them was needy. I mean, wow. How many of us want to be so transformed on the inside that you're able to transform the people and society on the outside? Let me see your hands. That's a lot of hands. And how do we do so? By the power and the grace of the gospel. If God can do it once in here, God can do it again. Amen. Now notice that the Bible tells us later on, it goes on to say that the people sold their property and shared their needs, sorry, shared their proceeds, their sales from time to time. Now it doesn't say all the time. It says from time to time. This is what happens from time to time. People do this, which means to say it is not a rule. It is not a must. It is not a command for all Christians that you have to sell away all your things and give away all your money. From time to time. Those of us who have been holding your breath, you can breathe now. (laughs) No need to do this all the time. From time to time, it happened. Now this is not a call for socialism or communism which is everything is shared, right? Nobody has any ownership to anything. This is not what it is in the Bible. The Bible says that some people actually continue to own land and property and houses. But the difference is that no one claims sole ownership is mine and only mine. But everyone had shared ownership. It's as if they say, what is mine is also yours. And what is yours is also mine. And in so doing, the Bible says that there was no needy People among them. How are there no needy people? Let, let, let's, let's look into this a little bit. Not by miraculous provision. Ah, oh, God raining down money on earth. No, it's not by supernatural provision. Like all of a sudden uh, the, the fishes started spitting out gold rings and then people can have the gold so that they are provided for. It's none of those miraculous big signs and wi- miracles. No, it is by ordinary believers who see a need and simply meets it. And then the Bible gives us one good example. Joseph, in verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here is the application point. If you have the means to meet a need, do it. That's what the Bible is t- t- teaching us here. and showing us what the disciples did. If you have the means to, need, to meet a need, do it. Church, are there needs amongst us today? Oh yeah. As pastors, we see and we hear a the lot. There are so many needs amongst us. Even today, this morning, we just bumped into a few conversations where people were having deep needs. So many of us here need a hand to hold. So many of us here need a hug. So many of us here need a a pat on the back or a shoulder to cry on or an arm around your shoulder saying, I'm with you. So many of us here literally need financial provision. So many of us here might be looking at the next home that you need to live in. You don't know where you're gonna go. So many of us here need a job, a career. So many of us here need help, healing, support. Someone who can say, I understand. I've been through that. I'll go through this with you. Don't worry, I'm here for you. There are so many needs amongst us in this church itself. If you have the means to meet a need, do it. Here's what we see in the Bible, that there can be needs amongst us, yes, all the time, but there need not be needy amongst us. There is a difference. Just because there are needs amongst us doesn't mean any brother or sister needs to be needy. How can those needs be met? Again, by ordinary believers who simply see a need and meet it. How about our church? How about FCC? Do we as a church have needs? Yes. By the grace of God, over the last couple of months, God has been bringing a lot of new faces, a lot of new people into the church, and our tents are being stretched. Every day, literally, I'm introducing myself to new people. And, and, and we now have two services over here in Willitson and, and so many ministries are going on and growing at the same time. The church is also needing volunteers. Also needing people to help in the faith kids ministry. Helping people in the services part of things. Helping people in connect groups. There is a need. But I believe that so many of us have the means to meet the need. But haven't done so. Church, if you have the means to meet a need, do it. That's what it means. That's the power of meeting needs. That's the point number one. Number two. The problem of holding back. In in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, and 2, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. What Luke is doing here, as he's writing Acts, is he's contrasting the example of Barnabas to the example of Ananias and Sapphira. You see, where Barnabas was generous, Ananias and Sapphira, they were pretentious. Where Barnabas was other-centered, they were self-centered. Where Barnabas was giving back to the community, they were holding back. But what did Ananias and Sapphira really do? Why did it matter so much to God? The Bible says this, they kept some of the money for themselves. Luke uses the Greek word nosphizo which literally literally translates to this, to embezzle, to secretly put aside for oneself. You see, Ananias and Sapphira thought that they they could have done this, and no one would have known their secret, because no one knew the full amount that they sold the land for. They thought they could lie and get away with it. But what happened? In verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias... How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? The apostle Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew and he confronted Ananias. And Peter revealed revealed that Ananias' heart was filled by Satan doing his dirty work. Can I quickly tell you something about the enemy, the enemy and money? Can I tell you something quickly about that? Here's something that I find really interesting when I studied the Bible. When was the last time Satan filled someone? In the book of Luke and Acts. When was the last time Satan filled someone? Luke 22 verse 3 to 6 says this, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now notice, Satan entered Judas also. What was it over? For Judas, it was money. For Ananias, it was money. How did they responded? For Judas he gave in, for Ananias he gave in. What happened to them in the end? Judas died, Ananias died in the end. Do you see what's going on? Do you see the pattern? The Bible tells us of Judas in Acts chapter one verse 18, with the payment that Judas received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. He fell hit first. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. What a great verse to read before lunch. <laughs> Friends, can you see a pattern here? The enemy of your soul. He loves to work through money. The enemy loves to trap people with the bait of money. The enemy loves to convince people that obtaining money is more rewarding than obeying Jesus. That same enemy in the Bible, his name is Satan. And Satan literally translates to the word enemy. Jesus describes him this way in John eight forty four. 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. The enemy's aim is to kill and to lie. And Luke Luke Acts reveals his weapon of choice, money. Woo, some of us feeling hot right now under the collar. Woo, but there is good news. I promise you, and the good news starts with this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, says this in the Bible. For the love of money is, a root, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now notice, it is not having money that God says is bad for you. It's loving money that leads to all kinds of evil. And how many of us know today that you don't need to have a lot of money to love money a lot? Isn't that true? We've seen money do some terrible things even to the people who do not have a lot of money. So the big question for us today is this, how do we overcome the love of money? How can I keep away from the love of money, Pastor Dan? I've been asked this questions in many shapes and forms by many people, mostly young adults and sometimes parents of young children. When young adults are finishing their uni, a lot of good Christian young adults and leaders, when they're going into work, sometimes they get worried that they might get sucked into the rat race. So they do ask, pastor, How can I avoid getting sucked into the career and into the hamster wheel? How do I get, get, how do I avoid getting sucked into that love for money and pursuing my, my dreams and my careers and that dream house and that dream car? How do I avoid all that and continue to love Jesus? Great question. Sometimes I get asked by parents too, how do I raise my kids so that they will know how to handle money and not pursue money for itself? but to pursue God while they are pursuing their careers. Great question. How did the early believers do it? Remember what happened with the early believers? Acts four thirty-three says this once again, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Church. The answer is found in the gospel and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to overcome the love of money is to find and to obtain and to grasp a greater love. And in this case, the love for Jesus Christ. The apostles caught it. The disciples caught it. And they were able to overcome the love of money. All 8,000 of them, less two. So what is the answer to the question, how do I overcome the love of money? The answer is not to focus on loving money less. I, money, money is no good. Let's, 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 let's bring down the importance of money. Don't chase money, money is bad for you. Don't focus on money, now, I, I don't wanna pursue that because I, I'm afraid that if I get, get into that job, it's gonna suck me into money. Don't focus on loving money less. Focus on loving Jesus more. If you're passionate about the Word of God, read it even more. If you're coming to church, come to church regularly. Make sure that you always pursue Christ and put Him at the first in your life. You don't have to be afraid of loving money if you are fearful of God and in love with Jesus Christ. And in the same way with children, don't just teach your children how to handle money wisely. Teach them how much Jesus loves them. Teach them how beautiful Jesus is. Teach them how amazing it is. He's the lover of their soul. He has a plan for them. They were made beautiful in His image. They are the apple of the eye of Jesus. Tell them how much Jesus loves them as they're growing up. And when they grow up, they cannot help but love Jesus so much. And they will choose what is right more than what is wrong. So brothers and sisters, here's the truth. What you hold on to is what has a hold on you. If you're holding on to games today and you're spending a lot of time on your games, your games has a hold on you. If you're holding on to a sexual relationship that is not good for you, that is not biblical, and you're not able to let go of that relationship, that sexual relationship has a hold on you. If you're holding on to the pursuit of your career, your career has a hold on you. But if you are holding on to Jesus, then Jesus has a hold on you. Amen. Let's read on in verse three. Peter says this to Ananias, and you have kept for yourself some of the money you've received for the land. Question mark. Now here's a big question in my mind when I read this. What is wrong with keeping some of the money for yourself? (laughs) I mean, isn't it better to give a little bit than to give nothing at all? I mean, how many of us actually give 100% for our tithes and our offerings? Isn't Isn't it better that I give a little bit rather than I give nothing? What is wrong here, God? What is the big deal? Peter reveals to us what is really going on here in Ananias. You see, it wasn't just about his lie. It was about his hypocrisy. It wasn't just about his deception. It was about his pretension. What do I mean by this? Let me show you. Three things that we see in this passage. Number one, we see that it is okay to share all the money. That's what we read in the first point. All the the disciples and all the community of believers, they sold what they had and they gave all the money. It's okay to share all the money. Number two, it's actually okay to keep all the money. You can either share all of it or you can keep all of it. Why is that so? Because Peter said this to Ananias, didn't it belong to you? Didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? You could have done whatever you want with it. Remember, it's from time to time. People sell it. You don't have to sell it all the time. It's up to you, Ananias. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And even after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? It's your money, Ananias. You decide if you want to keep the money or if you want to give all the money. It's okay to keep all the money as well. Number three, what was not okay was to pretend to share all the money. Peter said this to Ananias, you have kept for yourself some of the money you have received. What made you think of doing such a thing? Did you catch this? Why would Ananias pretend to share all the money when he didn't share all the money? It's because the act of sharing all things was A unity, a sign of unity and identity as a Christian back then. It is how people knew, and how you knew, and you proved to other people that you belong to this group of Christians, I'm going to share everything. That's your sign of identity. Ananias, what he really wanted, he wanted in on all the benefits of being a Christian without being a Christian. I mean, who doesn't want to go be a Christian? I mean, I get to go to heaven. Yeah, why not? You I mean, I get to have God's blessings. Yeah, why not? You mean I get to have the Holy Spirit's power in my life? Yeah, why not? You mean I get to have a loving, caring community in church? Yeah, why not? You mean I get to have access to all these resources when things go belly up? I get people to come and help me? Yeah, why not? Ananias wanted to look like he was giving it all without actually giving it all. You see, he thought he could look the part without playing the part. He thought he could have the form of spirituality, the outside of spirituality, without the substance of spirituality. He thought he could be Christian without being Christ-like. And he was dead wrong. He was both dead and wrong, pun intended. And then I thought he could pretend to be all in when he wasn't. You know, it reminds me of a camp song that I grew up with when I was a teenager. You 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 all heard of the hokey pokey song? Some of you, yeah, yeah, maybe. The young ones, maybe not, right? It goes like this, right? You put your right foot in, yeah, you know, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in, and you shake it all the back Come on you all. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around, that's what it's all about. You put your whole self in, you put your whole self out, you put your whole self in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around, that's what it's all about. You're sometimes in, you're sometimes out, you're sometimes in and you shake it all about, and then you come out again. That's the hokey pokey. You know, brothers and sisters, we laugh. But the scary thing is many Christians are doing the exact same thing to God today. We carry our Bibles to church every Sunday, but in reality, we hardly even open it to read it. We worship God passionately in church. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. But in reality, we're secretly living in sin. We ask God to forgive us of all our sins. Yes, God, forgive me. But in reality, we don't even wanna forgive other people of their sins against us. We may even be asking, Lord, use me for your kingdom. But in reality, we're too busy building our own kingdoms, our own futures, our own careers. We do the hokey pokey with God. Remember. The Bible used the word nosphizo, embasal, on Ananias. Embasal means to secretly hold back what doesn't belong to you for yourself. Ananias was holding back God's money and pretending to be all in. You know what I'm saying? And maybe we're thinking, well, Pastor Dan, what's that got to do with me? I don't do that with money. Well, brothers and sisters, we may not be holding back money, but we may be holding back ourselves from God and pretending to be all in. You know, the Bible says this in Romans 14 verse 8 to 9, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that He may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Brothers and sisters, Christ died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, so that now you belong to Him, and so that now He may be your Lord. My question to us today is, can we truly say if I live, I live for the Lord? And if I die, I die for the Lord. Can we truly say whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord? The real question is this, is he really your Lord? See church, Jesus is either... Lord of all, or He is not the Lord at all in your life. There is no in between. There is no hokey pokey with God. In God's kingdom, you're either all in or you have to be all out. There's a legendary story of a great conqueror of Russia called Ivan the Great. He was the, the king of, of Russia in the 15th century. And there's a story that goes like this Ivan was doing really well in his empire. He was conquering many nations, but he had no children. So he wanted to marry a wife in order to have children to continue his empire. So his advisors asked him, would you want to marry this particular daughter of the King of Greece? And he tried to do so. And the King of Greece says, sure, on one condition, you have to become a Greek Christian. And in order for him to become a Greek Christian, he needed to be baptized. So he says, yes, I'll do it for political reasons. I'll do it. And so he traveled to Athens in Greece, and he brought a whole bunch of troops with him, 500 soldiers. And they arranged a day where they would have 500 priests in the Mediterranean Sea, and the 500 soldiers together with Ivan, and they would all get baptized in the sea that day so that they could be Christian. Imagine 500 priests in their priestly garments, 500 soldiers in their military uniforms. What a sight to behold. All of Greece came around to the Mediterranean Sea in order to see this grand spectacle. But there was a problem. The church needed Christians to stop the act of killing. You have to give up killing if you were to truly be Christians. So they couldn't get baptized because of that. But they negotiated, and after negotiations, they found a a solution to their problem. So here's what they did. Every single one of them, as they got into the water, the priest was standing next to them. When they were about to be baptized, every single soldier grabbed the sword with their fighting hand, pulled it out of the sheath, and held it high above their heads. And when the priest put them in the water, that hand will remain out of the water so that it will not get baptized. It remains unsurrendered to Christ. It remains uncommitted to God. It remains in their control to do whatever they want with it because this is not given to Christ. So that that way they thought they could call themselves Christians and at the same time continue to kill. What a powerful image of so many Christians today. How many Christians show up in church today with our arms remain unsurrendered to Christ? How many people appear to be Christians yet are still holding back from God? Unwilling to fully commit to Him. All that they are, all that they have, all that they dream to be, all that they're doing right now, all that is in their possession. Brothers and sisters, how how about you and me? What are we holding on to What are we keeping above the water today? Is it your security? Is it your financial situation? Is it a relationship that you have that God says that's not good for you? Would it be even your children, what you hope your children to be and they're not given to God? How about your career? Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your own future, your own aspirations, your own dreams. Maybe it's your time. God is saying, give me that time. God is saying, step into service. Step up to lead. God is saying, get into that. And our hands are still above the water. Friends, in God's kingdom, you're either all in or you're all out. Today, church, I want us to just come before God and just to be honest, be honest before God. It's between you and God. Would you fully commit and surrender yourself to Christ today? Would you be all in for God today? Let's put aside your Bibles and would you just stand with me? In just a moment, I'm going to pray and then we'll respond to God in song. But first of all, I want all of us to come to God honestly and let Him shine a spotlight in the areas of your life that you have been holding back. I believe God is already pointing that out and He's putting His finger on some of those areas. Friends, no more pretending, no more hiding, just you and God today. And here's my challenge for us today. Resurrender all you are and all you have to Jesus. Tell Him, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in today, Jesus. No more holding back. And if that's you, as we're singing and as we're worshipping, I want you to kneel where you are, where you can. If you can at your seats, do so. If you need to find space on the aisle, do so. And if you need someone to pray with you, come to the front and we will pray with you. But take a stand and commit yourself. If your prayer, Jesus, I'm all in, then I want you to go on your knees where you are as we get into the time of song and worship. Lord, would you see all of us with our hands raised and our knees bent before you. Lord, our desire is to live all in for you. No turning back, no turning back as the song goes. Lord, we wanna be all in and many times we have not been all in and we have pretended that I was okay. We've come in week in, week out, Sunday after Sunday, thinking that this is all there is to Christian existence and forgive us of the times that we have allowed it to be so. They were bought into the lie that Ananias and Sapphira bought into, that it was okay to look the part without being the part. It's okay to look Christian without being Christ-like. Today, God, we ask You for forgiveness. We wanna change. We wanna be transformed from the inside out. We wanna be all in. So for the ones of us who are committing today, God, would You see our hearts. Holy Spirit, would You give us the power to live and to do so in increasing measures in the days to come. God, we cannot wait to see what You will do with a church set on fire for You that way. We cannot wait to see what you would do with a church who will love you so passionately with a single-mindedness pursuing Christ with all that they are, all that we are. And we thank you, God, for that. Would you continue to speak to us? Church, would you be blessed today as you leave the auditorium? May the love of our Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you until we see each other again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.